Hi besties, this is gonna be a part two to the advice Q&A episode that I recorded last week, so if you wanna go and listen to that, feel free. If you have already, then let's get straight into it. Um, yeah, let's, no, actually, let's just dive into it. I was gonna do a whole intro, but why? You know what it is. It's an advice episode. Let's go, let's do the damn thing. So, first up, how to find motivation to do things. Now, as someone who lacks motivation to do most things apart from working out, I feel like this is a great question for me. I tend to find that when I lack motivation, it's because I really don't want to do it, and I don't want to do it because I don't have a drive or a passion for it. If it's something that I don't enjoy, if it's something that doesn't seem fun to me, I tend to lack a lot of motivation. And the way I've tried to come around that is by making things exciting. So, for example, when I was at uni, um, I never wanted to write those 6,000 word essays because literally who wants to do that? But I think most unis are the same in this aspect, but you get given a bunch of questions that you could pick from. And I'd always sit there and analyze each question and figure out which question, one, aligned the most with things that I like to argue about because I did law, so there was a lot of arguing. But two, which question also allowed me to talk about things that I actually wanted to talk about? Still related to the question, but they're things that I would feel more happier writing about. And so a lot of my essays at uni would be about like specific law cases, right? But I would still somehow find a way to bring in maybe a specific philosophy theory that I really enjoy talking about or relate it to another case that I actually enjoyed studying. And outside of school, in terms of motivation, I think you have to do the same thing. Like if you tend to be someone who lacks motivation to go out and socialize, you have to figure out why that is. And more often than not, it's because the people that you're going out with don't spark you with joy. And this life is way too short to hang around with people that don't spark you with joy. So maybe you can, you know, hang out with your specific group that do bring you happiness. And if you still find yourself lacking motivation in that aspect, then try and do new things. Maybe go bowling, go ice skating, go and see a film together, go and see a musical. Things that bring you excitement because more often than not, the lack of motivation comes from the lack of like energy and drive inside of you to do something. And I think that when you do something new, it doesn't give you the chance to not be motivated to do it because you don't have an experience with it. So if you say to someone, oh, like let's go and get tattoos. I mean, you don't have to, I just got a new tattoo. That's why that came to my head. But if you say to someone, oh, let's go and get tattoos together, you might find yourself being more motivated to go out with them because you don't have a baseline of this like internal idea of what it's going to be like, which could then make you lack motivation. It's a new experience, it's a new feeling, it's excitement more than anything. And that might really help if you're struggling with motivation, try and find excitement in these things that you don't want to do. Also, if you're lacking motivation, there could be bigger underlying reasons for that. I know I speak about being depressed and being on antidepressants a lot, but I lacked so much motivation before I started my antidepressants. And then when I was on Sertraline, I was like, oh, hey, this is how this is how other people walking around in the world, just ready to do shit, cool. So, you know, look at your options, see what your life is. I can't give you a specific answer because I don't know what circumstance you're in, but yeah, hope that helps. <laughs> okay, um, how to actually achieve New Year's resolutions. I keep failing at mine. Okay, I don't make New Year's resolutions. I think that the pressure that we give ourselves on New Year's is way too much. 
you give yourself this goal on January 1st and I feel like the biggest goal that people give themselves is like, I'm gonna like be fit and I'm gonna eat healthy. It's January 1st. It's New Year's Day. You have just got shit-faced on New Year's Eve. You are not eating a salad on New Year's Day. Order the damn pizza and take the pressure off yourself, okay? New Year's Day has so much pressure around it to become a new person. You do not need to do that. If you have goals and quote-unquote resolutions and things that you want to achieve, do it now. Like, write your goals now. Write them in the journal and spend the rest of your life achieving them. It's not something that on January 1st, 2020, you say, this year I'm going to do X thing, and then it gets to December 31st, 2022, and you're like, fuck, I didn't do it. And then you just feel bad, but you have your whole life ahead of you. I really don't like the idea of New Year's resolutions because it's just a setup to fail. It's just a setup to fail. And if you have goals that you really want to achieve, just do them. Life will do it with you, but like, take it at your own pace. Don't be like, next year, I have to do this, because shit happens, okay? Also, life paths are not planned out. You cannot sit there and say, next year, I will hit this goal, because maybe it's going to happen in the next year, and you've now upset yourself and put so much pressure on yourself to do something that wasn't meant to happen in that year. So, I like to think of December as kind of my new year, because that's when the year's coming out, like, you do a lot of reflection, you look back at, like, things you've lost, things you've gained, and realise that not all losses are actually losses, and just sit back with myself and say, okay, what am I striving for next year? Because also I think that New Year's resolutions are often very surface level, and like I said, the biggest one seems to be like, I'm going to get fit and I'm going to get in shape. And it's all like the surface level goal of like changing your appearance. And by all means, I understand wanting to feel healthier and feel fitter. But like, are you doing it for the right reason? You know, are you doing it so you can actually internally feel healthier? Because a lot of people aren't. And so in December, I like to sit down. I like to journal a lot. December is like the month that my journaling is crazy and I like to get it all out, reflect on the year, and then see what worked, see what didn't, see what I want for myself, what is attainable, and go from there. Like, I I think if you want to make New Year's resolutions, do that, but understand that it's not something you have to make on January 1st, and then if by January 3rd you haven't done it, you hate yourself. Because that's unrealistic and you are literally setting yourself up for failure. And so if your New Year's resolution, for example, is to work out more, you have your whole life to work out more. Like it can start on January 1st, but you have the rest of your life to work out more. Like do not be angry at yourself if you get to December and you're like, oh God, I only went on one run this year. That's progress. That's still progress. Give yourself a pat on the back for that because if your goal was to work out more and you ran, you did the damn thing, okay? Be easy on yourself. So this probably isn't the answer you wanted, but my advice for New Year's resolutions is don't make them on New Year's. Make it a life goal and keep going at it. Okay, letting people go when they're not good for you. Boy, is this something I know. So I think the biggest thing is that you won't let them go until you let them go. And what I mean by that is you can hold on to pain for a really long time. 
You can hold on to friendships that are breaking you into a million pieces because you think that that person is your person. And I, I believe in soulmates, I believe in twin flames, but I also believe that not everybody is meant to stay in your life forever. And it's sad because sometimes we do think that these people are our forever soulmates, but some people are a lesson. Like some people come into your life to shape you into the person that you're meant to go off into the world to be. And that might sound selfish to some people, but what I really mean is that we grow and we evolve as human beings. And sometimes that means we grow out of the people that made us grow into who we are. And it is really sad sometimes. It is really sad to see the people that have supported you the most and the people that you have supported the most become strangers. But you can't stay the same person forever. And if you do, and you have the same friends forever, and you know, not to say that people who have had the same friends their whole life have remained stagnant in their personality. I don't mean that at all. I'm just saying when it comes to the feeling of feeling like you need to let someone go, you know it's what's best for you. And it's something that not many people can tell you to do. Like there are people in my life who would tell me to stop speaking to someone and as much as I love them and value their opinion, you don't do it until you're ready. And that might take a lot of pain and a lot of tears because you can get hurt so many times in the process, but eventually you'll let go. And I think that if you know that they're not good for you, it's just time to say goodbye. And it doesn't have to be goodbye forever. Sometimes people come back into your life in ways that are completely unexpected and they're a different person and you're a different person and it's your time to have another shot at this life together. But the sheer fact that you you know that they're not good for you means that you know it's time to walk away. And it doesn't have to be aggressive. It doesn't have to be in a bad way. You can just stop speaking to people. I think there is this like idea that you can't just not speak to someone, especially with like technology and social media and stuff like you can block people you can just not respond to texts you are not obliged to respond to every text you ever get like yes okay it may seem rude to some people but also if you have no intention of being friends with that person you do not need to respond to them and some people may come back and be like oh I want an explanation and like they are well within their right to want an explanation to as to why you're not speaking to them anymore but also know that you're protecting your own peace and that's enough. If you say to them, I'm protecting my peace, this is not working, you're not good for me, good for you, that's a really strong thing to do and to say and you don't owe anyone an explanation beyond that. I think that as humans, like we all want answers to everything in our life and I don't really agree with the idea of closure because I think that in some cases you won't ever get closure but if you just stop speaking to people and focus on yourself and do the damn thing and do what's right for you you don't owe the world an explanation as to why you did that so just know that if you know they're not good for you it's time to walk away okay someone said how to start getting into working out and going to the gym like what do I even do this is a great question because I, to this day, do not know what the hell to do in the gym. I used to be a real gym junkie, like, didn't go to workout classes, just went to the gym, and all I did was go on the Stairmaster and the treadmill. Like, I have truly always been a cardio bitch, but, like, even then, I'm like, oh, what the hell am I doing in the gym? And so I remember when I was like deep into gym TikTok during lockdown. I was like, oh, I'm gonna lift weights. Like this looks so cool. Like I'm gonna go and lift weights. Went to the gym, lifted weights. And I was like, it's not for me. And 
I think there's like a massive discourse about this, like especially in the fitness world online and people are like, you have to lift weights to be strong. Like that's how you get lean and that's how you get muscles and blah, blah, blah. And like, I respect people who lift weights. I really do, but it's not for everyone. And I don't like this idea that like cardio can't be your thing. Like it has to just be the warm up to the weights because like cardio completely changed my mind and body and that's my thing and I enjoy it. I'm not gonna go and do something that I don't enjoy and I felt really pressured to do things that I don't enjoy in the gym. So next time you go to the gym, like try out everything, like watch TikToks or YouTube videos on like beginners in the gym. They're really useful. But if you don't enjoy it, don't do it because then you'll never want to go back to the gym and you'll just find yourself like, hating everything that you're doing so much that you begin to resent the gym. So I'd say a big thing as well is like working out at home if you have the space or like if you have an open park near you or a garden or anything like that. Doing online workouts, especially in the pandemic, has been a real game changer for me because then it means when I do go into the gym or I go into different workout classes, I feel a lot more confident because I've had the time to practice in my own space. So I really enjoy doing um, Melissa Wood Health Pilates. Like I swear by her Pilates, so, so good. Um, And then Barry's have some videos on their Instagram from like at-home workouts. Um, I think they also did like weighted workouts. So if you want to like have practice before you go to the gym with weights, do that. Also taking workout classes before starting in the gym is a really good way to know how to use everything. I, as you guys know, like go to SoulCycle and go to Barry's and they are very cardio focused, but like at Barry's you use weights and at SoulCycle you use weights and they give you like routines of how to use the weights. And so you can just use that in the gym when you go and you're a pro already. So yeah, I'd say practice doesn't make perfect, but it makes progress. So if you just keep practicing, figure out what you like and don't do anything that you don't want to do because you feel like there's a pressure to do it. It's not for everyone. We all have different bodies. We all have different needs. We all have different likes. Do what you like and figure it out in the gym, at home, whatever but just do what you like. I cannot emphasize that enough. Otherwise you will grow to resent the gym and working out and the gym and working out are great things and they shouldn't be resented. So yeah. Um, Next one. Okay, this is like a three part question. So we'll break it down. It's confidence, being in your twenties, also being a girl. So with confidence, I would say it truly is fake it till you make it. And I didn't believe that for a while because I was just like, oh, well, like, how can I fake it if I don't have it? Just act. Like, honestly, just pretend. I think it's so important to know that pretending doesn't always mean that you're being something that you're not. It can mean that you're trying to be something. It's like a form of manifestation in a way. And I find that when I like meet new people and I'm not faking it, I'm not faking confidence, I, I'm just so in my own head about it. And I'm like, oh my God, Mary, like you're not speaking to anybody. What the fuck? And so I will just dive into a conversation with someone new. Also, I won't lie to you. Tequila helps. Tequila does help. I'm not saying become an alcoholic. I'm not saying drink every time you meet someone new, but it helps. You know, a bit of Dutch courage. We love to see it. But 
it's a journey. And I think confidence does come from being confident in who you are and how you hold yourself and how you feel about yourself. And the times where I was the least confident aligned with the times when I hated myself the most. And so it is a journey of like unpacking all those things about yourself and realizing that the feelings that you feel towards yourself do actually radiate out of you. And if you have no confidence in the way you are, you won't have confidence in interacting with other people. And I think that like when I started working out a lot more and I got really comfortable in my body and like I got my piercings and all these things, like things that made me feel like me, like authentically me, I felt more confident to interact with people. And do not get that confused. I am not saying change your appearance to be confident. I'm saying do the things that make you feel comfortable in the body that you already have, okay? And so even now, like when I meet new people, they're always like, oh my God, I love your piercings. They're so cool. And I feel like that's a very me thing and it's a conversation starter. And now I feel more comfortable and more confident because I'm talking about something that really expresses me. And, you know, like I just got a New York City tattoo and people have pointed it out and they're like, oh, like, what's the meaning? Like, why do you love New York? And it's a conversation starter. And now I'm confident because I'm talking about something on me that expresses me that I'm now confident in. That was a ramble and I don't actually know if that made much sense. But yeah, with confidence, the confidence you feel within your inner body is the confidence you exude to other people. So, and then being in your 20s, holy shit, being in your 20s is so, so difficult, okay? It is crazy. I'm 23 and I am literally like, oh my God, this shit is so difficult. I have seven years left. I have seven years left of my 20s. And I think the most difficult part of it is the fact that nobody has the same path in their 20s. Like, everybody is just so, so completely different in their 20s, and people graduate at different times, some people don't graduate, some people don't even go to uni, some people go straight into working, some people are stay-at-home daughters, some people are just vibing, you know, we all do different things, and I really do think that it's because up until the age of 18, you are forced to do the same thing as everybody else. You are forced to go to school. You are forced to sit your exams. You have to be in this one institution because it is the law. And the minute you turn 18, life is yours. Like that's when you're finally given the freedom to make your own decisions. And even though it does feel like we're way too young to make decisions at that age, that's when it happens. And then, you know, you're suddenly 20 and you have this big pressure on you because you're no longer a teen and you have to conquer the world and figure your shit out. I think your 20s, the whole decade, is the time that you figure your shit out. It's not like you turn 21 and you're an adult and you have to have a mortgage and a husband and kids and a dog and have like a massive penthouse apartment in New York. No. It's figuring out who you are for the first time in your life without the restraints of any other institution telling you what you should and shouldn't be doing. And... I think navigating through that can be really difficult because you do look to other people in your age group and think, oh, why am I not doing what they're doing? Or, oh my God, like they've moved out and I still live with my parents. Take it easy. Like we're not meant to have the same life. And I think dropping out of uni really felt like a massive failure in terms of being in my 20s because I was like, fuck, I feel like I'm back at the bottom starting again now. But I think that's also a part of being in your 20s. Like I figured out that what I thought was for me wasn't for me. And now I have to live my life navigating through my 20s, figuring out what is for me. And like I said, up until 18, you're in this institution that tells you what you should and shouldn't be. And this is the first time that you're allowed to figure it out freely. And 
I think we just need to jump at the opportunities that our 20s give us. Like, it's really sad and it's really lonely sometimes, but also you are legally an adult and you can do whatever the fuck you like. And that's a freedom that should be just, like, rejoiced in because it kind of comes to this point of like, oh, you know, when you're 17, you want to do all these big girl things and you want to go to the clubs and you want to go to bars and you want to go to specific restaurants that are like 18 plus and you want to go to concerts by yourself and you want to stay in hotels and you want to travel. You want to do all these things and now you're in your 20s and it's like, what do I do? You live the dreams you had, okay? Like you figure out if those dreams still resonate with you. You you travel the world. You do whatever fills your heart with joy because this is the time to do it. If you see everybody else doing something else because they're in their 20s and you feel like you have to do that, only do it if you want to. Because your 20s are yours. You get to define this decade. And I can't speak for what comes next. I can't say how your 30s or 40s or 50s are, but I'm in my 20s. I can speak for your 20s. They are a shit show. You are meant to fail. You are meant to succeed. You are meant to do everything because there is no plan for this. There is no guidebook. There is no manual. Nobody can say to you that by the time you're 23, you should have done this. By the time you're 27, you should have done this. You figure it out. You make your goals. These are your 20s. Do not let anybody else define them for you. And the last one is being a girl. And there is so much about being a girl that pisses me off sometimes. Like my period, for example, and just like sexism. You know, there is so much about being a girl. But I also love it. Like I also love being a girl so much. And I love how now, I think especially in this current society, we are more accepting, I'm not gonna say fully accepting, but more accepting and like progressing towards being fully accepting of people expressing different sides of themselves and like showing androgynous sides or like specifically feminine sides or specifically masculine sides. And like speaking from a girl, I like that a lot because it means that I don't have to define myself to this one trope that society has of girls. And, like, when I carry myself in a very masculine way and I dress more masculine and I feel, like, very, like, more comfortable in myself, I think that's so cool because I also know the next day I can, like, put on a dress and be a quote-unquote girly girl and also feel comfortable in myself. And I think there are so many ways to express yourself that go beyond the boundaries of what people would define being a girl as. And it's just so cool and I I love it so much and there's a lot more freedom I feel now and obviously I'm only speaking from the perspective of like a girl in London I'm not speaking about like a worldwide scale because I know there are different disparities and injustices worldwide that women face but you know as a girl in London in her 20s I feel so liberated and I feel I feel really cool That's like a really cheesy thing to say. But I also feel like younger me would be really proud of myself for just saying like, oh, I feel cool. I feel like a cool girl in London. And now I'm realizing I sound like Amy Dunn from Gone Girl. That is not what I meant. But yeah. (laughs) Okay, next question is, how do you deal with the pressure of getting a respectful, purposeful, well-paid job in early 20s? And I kind of want to deep dive into this because... I always felt an immense amount of pressure to have the most respected job in the world. Like, I think that was a big part of me 
going to law school because I was like, well, I know it's a respected job and I know it's a respected degree. And as much as like, yes, I did love law and I really enjoyed like the things we would learn about, I don't think that's enough motivation to want to do that job. And like, I have a friend who does corporate law for a living and even he was saying like, if you don't want to do it because you love it, you can't do it. And respectful, purposeful jobs are kind of losing their title, if that makes sense. I don't mean to diminish them because of course we need like doctors, lawyers, like all these very well-respected jobs are well-respected for a reason. But I think that especially now with the advancement of technology and social media, job pay and its link to respectful jobs is kind of being turned around. And for example, I'd say like, you know, social media marketing managers get paid a shit ton. Obviously not all of them, but like a lot of them make a lot of money. And you say that to someone who's in an older generation, they're not going to look at that and be like, yeah, that's a respectful job because that's not the world that they grew up in. But the world that we've grown up in is a world that is dictated by technology and social media. And so I think that the idea of like striving for this respectful job is very much an idea of an older generation, like the boomers, let's say. (laughs) And I felt really uncomfortable for a while saying that my job was social media. I still don't really say that that's my job. I was having this conversation the other day and my friend was like, you have to stop saying that you're unemployed because you're not. Like you're not unemployed, like you have a job, you have an income. And I think a big part of why I never said that my job was social media is because I was ashamed of it. I was ashamed of the fact that I wasn't having a respectful job. I was ashamed of the fact that I dropped out of law school, which was quote unquote, a respectful degree that was gonna get me a well-paid job and I'm in my early twenties doing social media full time. And I look at it now and I'm like, well, okay, this is my job and I love it. So why am I so fussed about the fact that it's not respected by everyone? And I think that's what you have to look at. If you're going to strive for a job because it's respected by other people, then you need to remind yourself that you are not working for yourself, you're working for other people. You're working for other people's approval and other people's opinions, and that's not a life worth living. You need to find a job or a career or whatever that genuinely is something you want to do. Because... I could have continued with law school. I could have got my degree and I could have gone into law and I probably would have hated myself. And that would have been the rest of my life. And there's this idea that like working a nine to five that you hate and constantly being tired and constantly doing things that you don't want to do is a life that you have to settle for. But like I said, the world is changing. There are so many jobs that exist now that did not exist 10 years ago that will fuel your heart with whatever passion you have and will pay well and you just have to figure out what you want to do before you fall into the trap of doing what everybody else wants you to do. Because I did that for a really long time and it it stayed with me. It stayed with me to the point where I was making money from social media and still saying that that's not my job. Like, well, what is that, babe? What are you doing? Something that pays the fucking bills is your job. Like, it's really that simple. And you know, I am in my early 20s and social media is my job and I am so, so fortunate and so lucky and I'm so aware of that. 
but I always say to people like, oh, well, you know, when I get a real job, and it's like, I need to unlearn this pressure that was taught to us by older generations that there are levels to jobs, like there are levels to how much respect you can gain from other people, because at the end of the day, I'm not doing this for other people. Social media did happen to be my job because it was a fun hobby I had in lockdown, but like, it's still my job and I love it. And I cannot imagine myself doing anything else right now. And why should I be ashamed of that? Because I feel like other people will be like, oh, well, you should have got a law degree or you should have gone into medicine. Okay, but those things weren't gonna make me happy. And I would have been working ridiculous hours. And also, I just don't want to. Like, that's a valid answer in and of itself. Like, I just don't want to. And there are so many different things that you can do that can get you to these jobs that you probably hold in high regard, like apprenticeships or internships or like shadowing people. And they aren't the traditional route. They're not what people expect you to take. But if that's what you want to do, then that's what you want to do. And at the end of the day, it's your life, you know? And I really do understand the pressure. I do. And I feel like with me, a lot of it came from the fact that I have just always wanted to be the best in my parents' eyes. And I I want them to be so incredibly proud of me. And I think for a really long time, I thought that the only way they could ever be proud of me is if I was a successful lawyer. And um, I got this like job opportunity for next year that honestly is just incredible. And I, I feel so fortunate to have it. And I like told my dad about it obviously and like told him the pay and told him what it was and everything. And even though I got the job through being on social media, it definitely isn't like a social media job. And he was like telling all his friends and I was like, oh my God, like, are you proud of me? And he was like, of course I'm proud of you. Like, this is incredible. And I think that for so long, I just thought that I could never make anyone else proud if I wasn't doing what people thought was a respectful job. But at the end of the day, like I've made myself proud. And I think by that, my parents are proud of me. And that's all I could ever ask for. So I think that when you ask like, oh, how do you deal with the pressure of trying to get those jobs? You need to also know if you want to do them. Because, you know, some people do want to become lawyers. Like my friend is a lawyer and he fucking loves it. And like, you know, is living his best life go off king, like love to see it, but it's not for everyone. And life wouldn't work. Well, like society wouldn't work if everybody had the same job. We all need different people with different skills and different mindsets and different attributes and qualities for society to function. If we all just became doctors, the world would crumble. We'd probably be very healthy, but the world would crumble. So yeah, the pressure is there. I'm not going to deny that by any means but you kind of have to unlearn it. And it's, it's a journey even now. Like, I guess I've been doing social media for just under a year and I'm still like, I don't have a job. Woo. But I do like, this is my job. And the only reason that I deny it is because I know that people look down on social media, but at the end of the day, if it's paying the bills, it's paying the bills. And if it makes you happy, it makes you happy. And it has nothing to do with anybody else. Someone said, I'm on my gap year at the moment and I'd love to hear your experience during yours. And I always make fun of my gap year because it's never what anybody expects to hear when you say that you've taken a gap year. 
I've heard so many people be like, oh my god, on my gap year I went to Thailand and I like saved the elephants and blah blah blah. I'm like, okay, good for you, whatever. But I didn't do any of that. I I stayed in bed. Yeah, I stayed in bed all year. I lived my best life in bed. I traveled a lot to be fair, so I wasn't in bed the full time. I like booked as many random flights around Europe as I could because I knew that was probably one of the only times in my life that I'd have the freedom to do so. But I really took that year for myself. I really struggled mentally in my final year of my A-levels and like I just wasn't looking after myself. And I feel like even on my gap year, I like wasn't looking after myself as well as I should have been. But I knew that I just couldn't go straight back into education. It just like wasn't the right time for me. And so, yeah, I took a year out and I said to my parents, I was like, I promise you that I will try and go to uni. And like, by that I meant like, I will sign up and like attend, not promising you I'm getting a degree. Obviously that was a good bargain to make because girly did not get that degree. But I just had to promise them that I would go to uni. Like September of the year after, I had to make that promise that I would go and I did. And they were fine with me taking a gap year, which is like, honestly, I know how lucky I am that they were very okay with me, like, just being the most jobless bitch alive and sitting in bed and, like, just randomly booking flights around Europe. But it was also just not the right time for me. And so I think with gap years, a lot of people, like, travel the world and go to those, like, reservation places or, like, go and try and find this warm glow inside of their hearts by going to different African and Asian countries and building schools or whatever. But your gap year is your time. Like if you don't want to do anything, you don't have to. If you're still young, you don't actually have to go and travel the world or save an elephant. Like also those things that like those stereotypes of gap years come from people with a lot of money and not everybody has that kind of money. So if you feel like you need to do that on your gap year, but you can't afford it and you're working like five jobs to afford it, know that you don't need to do that. You do not need to do that at all. I think the importance of a gap year is really figuring yourself out and also kind of seeing everybody else go through their first year of uni when I wasn't there was a real eye-opener. I saw a lot of people change dramatically and it didn't really click in my head that that would happen to me too. But then when it did happen, I was like, oh, I get it. Like it's uni. This is what this place does to you. This is what finally being in an environment with people that you would have never crossed paths with before, that's what that does to you. And so take that year to just breathe because uni is overwhelming. It's a really overwhelming experience. As fun as it may be, it's really overwhelming. You're living by yourself for the first time for most people. You are meeting people that, like I said, you would have never crossed paths with before. You have to fend for yourself. The studying is a lot. Take this year to breathe. If your gap year means that all you did was make sure that you were breathing, then that's fine. You do not need to explain to anybody else that you didn't live the conventional gap year life because what the fuck is a conventional gap year? Playing with elephants. Okay, go off. You know, I just I just think a big topic that comes up with all these questions is the fact that there is so much pressure put on us by other people, but we don't actually have to live up to their expectations because they're not us. We all have different expectations for ourselves because we're all different human beings. We're all different individuals. It would be really fucking shitty if everybody had the same gap year. We also need different things. 
some people need to go out to different countries and build schools to get that warm glow in their heart that helps them sleep at night. But then, you know, some of us just need a chance to breathe and that's okay. So there were a lot of questions about antidepressants and sertraline and things like that. And so I'm not going to like address every single one of them individually because one answer will answer all of them. But let's just do like a rundown of the antidepressant story. So in March, I think, I just had one of the worst mental breakdowns of my life. And my parents literally didn't know what the fuck was going on. I would walk into the house and just start crying for no apparent reason. I would be in the bath and start crying. I would be sat in my room, start crying. Like there was no rhyme or reason to why I was crying. And my dad was very much like, okay, all right, let's do this. Like, let's, let's go and talk to a doctor because this isn't okay. And two of my friends were on sertraline already and they were like, Mary, you you really should try antidepressants. Like, you are not living a life that you want to live right now. You are crying nonstop. You are sad all the time. And so I was very fortunate because I do not like making phone calls to my doctor. So my dad went to my doctor and was like, hey, bestie, my daughter might jump off a cliff any day now. So we we need some help. So I met up with my doctor. We, like, spoke about everything, what I was feeling. Um... And she was immediately like, yep, you need to go back to therapy and you're going on antidepressants. And so I started sertraline, uh, started on 25 milligrams, I believe, and then have gradually worked my way up since starting. And I truthfully think they saved my life. I was in a real bad place and being better didn't seem like a possibility. It just seemed like it was progressively going to get worse. And anyone who's asked me about my antidepressants like in real life, and we've had the conversation about starting them, I always say, I think I will recommend antidepressants to everyone who needs them till the day I die. They just saved me. Like I have never realized that like people didn't live a life like I did all the time. And so, Initially, when I started them, um, we'll talk about like side effects and stuff. Initially, when I started them, it was rough. I was very angry and sad. Um, and I also couldn't eat. I completely lost my appetite for about two weeks, which was quite terrifying because I work out a lot. So I do need to eat a lot. And I just couldn't like the idea of food repulsed me. Like I went out for dinner with my dad and I got like a side of fries because I knew that I wasn't hungry and I ate one fry. I think I actually ate half and my dad was like, what the fuck? Because when I tell you I can eat, oh my god, I can eat. Like when my dad and I go out for dinner, I'm ordering like eight sides, eight starters, maybe even two main meals, a dessert, like to the point where my dad used to think I had worms. Like I just ate a lot. And he was like, what the actual fuck? Like, why can you not eat? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I have no appetite. And it just made me feel really weak for like the first two weeks of being on antidepressants. And then my appetite slowly came back and that was fine. Um, Another immediate change I realized was the fact that I cannot drink like I used to. I cannot drink like I used to. I black out after like two Aperol spritzes now. And I used to be the girl that was downing like five bottles of wine and still making it home in one piece, absolutely fine, remembering the night. But 
now I tend to find that I cannot remember any nights out. Like, I, I just completely black out, which is quite scary. And I know you're not meant to drink on antidepressants, and I'm not saying that you should, but I am not going to stop. So there's that. People are always like, well, you know you shouldn't drink. Okay, I'm also 23 and have a social life, so shut up. Um, Another big question that a lot of people ask me is, like, how it affected my sex life. And I do actually think that's something that not enough people talk about because I've only ever seen people say that it fucked with their sex drive. Whereas myself and my two other friends who are on Sertraline did not experience that. Obviously it is different for everybody. It also depends on how many milligrams you're on, but it didn't affect my sex life at all. I think if anything, it made me hornier, which is like, oh, that's a bit awkward because I was expecting to just, you know, not be getting railed, but that is not what happened. So it is what it is. But yeah, it really didn't affect my sex drive at all. I'm very fucking grateful for that. Um, what else is another side effect? Oh my god, I sweat excessively now. Like I never used to sweat. Like I used to be that annoying bitch that would like run 10k and not sweat. And then as I got older, I assume like with puberty, I gradually started sweating more. But when I started these antidepressants, oh my god. It's like buckets pouring off my face, which is so annoying because I went to a bar class recently and like bar really isn't that like high intensity, you know, like it's ballet basically. And like ballet is tough, but you're not like running and you're not like, you know, you're not doing cardio in its excessive form. And I never used to sweat in bar, maybe like a couple drops on my forehead. The other day, oh my God, I could not stop sweating. Oh, I had armpit sweat, crotch sweat, head sweat, everything. And I was like, nobody else in this class is sweating apart from me. And I am so annoyed. But yeah, I figured out that was because of the sertraline because it also happened to my friend. Um, and another thing that happened is that I started to grind my teeth at night. And I had no idea that was a side effect because well, I didn't really read the side effect sheet when I got prescribed my antidepressants, but I just randomly started grinding my teeth. So I Googled the correlation between antidepressants and grinding your teeth. And apparently it's a common thing that happens and it's mainly in females. So warning. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's been fun. It's been great. I have never been this motivated to live my life. Um, I don't really cry anymore apart from when I'm on my period, but um, I didn't really expect that to stop. But the thing that has stopped is the fact that when I used to be on my period, I wanted to, eh, if you don't know what that means, then okay, not gonna explain. But it was just really bad. And now it's like bad, but it's not like extreme. So they've helped in that regard. But yeah, you tend to find yourself like being okay with things. And things that used to like really get me don't really get me that much anymore. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, because I don't feel completely numbed out. When I first started them, I did feel very numb. I was like, nothing affects me, nothing phases me. Like, I'm never gonna feel an emotion again. But that, like, faded away. I think it was just my body adjusting. Like, I still feel things, and I think that's something that when people start their antidepressants, that's what they want to know. They're like, oh, will I still be able to feel things? Will I still be able to, like, be sad or be happy? And yeah, you still feel those things. Like, this is certainly in specific. I know that Lexapro has the power to just completely numb you out. But, like, with Sertraline, I do still feel things. And they just, they just make life seem a little brighter. And I'm really, really grateful that I'm on them. 
and any day that I like forget to take them, which isn't common because I know that like I probably will start spontaneously crying if I don't take them, but like if I don't take them when I normally take them, which is 7am and I take them at like 7pm, um, I, I, I notice a difference immediately. So yeah, I, I don't know. I would just recommend because sometimes you need help and that's okay. And I think it's really brave to need antidepressants and know that you need them and go and ask for them. I don't ever think I'll stop taking them. This is like something that a lot of people ask. They're like, oh, like, you know, when you stop your antidepressants and I'm like, I don't want to stop them. I don't like the idea that it's something that we're just going to treat temporarily and then I'll be fine. Like, I know right now I'm not in a position where if I came off them, I would be mentally stable. And I think that's absolutely fine. I want to stay on them for as long as possible because they do make this life seem a little brighter. And yeah, I don't know. I just like, I love being on them. Obviously there are downsides to everything, but like, I love being on them and I'm so grateful. And I've said that many times, but yeah. <laughs> 